Hello folks, I'm Joe Van Hoogen and this is the Bread of Life. Our program is supported by your gifts, but it's brought to you out of the heart of two ministries. One is Church Partnership Evangelism, where I've been the executive director for over 30 years. We're a disciple-making ministry among the nations. To learn more about us, go to traincpe.org. The other sponsoring ministry is the Bread of Life Fellowship, where I'm the Bible teacher. We meet in the Old White Church in the Warm Springs area of Boise for worship every Sunday at 11 a.m. Please, when you're able, feel free to come and worship with us. You can learn more about our ministry by going to breadoflifeboise.org. Today, we begin a consideration of Psalm 24. We'll see how versatile a psalm it is, and yet how neglected are its lessons. Turn to Psalm chapter 24. You have an interesting trilogy of psalms. Psalm 22, you have a picture of the suffering Savior. And then you have in Psalm 23 a picture of the shepherd Savior. And then in Psalm 24, you have a picture of the conquering Savior or the triumphant Savior. And they run together and they tell us something of the ministry of Christ. We're going to be looking at Psalm 24 this morning. I would encourage you, by the way, to go back sometime today, find a still time and and read through those three psalms. See those perspectives. A psalm of David. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. He hath founded it upon the seas and established it upon the floods. The picture there is out of the chaos of the seas that corrodes and takes away the earth out of the chaos of the floods of the multitudes and destruction God has raised up His creation. Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord? And who shall stand in His holy place? He that hath clean hands and a pure heart, who hath not lifted up his voice unto vanity. Word there is, has not lifted up his soul, I should say, unto vanity. It's lift up his soul by falsehood, nor sworn deceitfully. He shall receive the blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. This is the generation of them that seek him, that seek his face, O Jacob. It would be something like this. This, O Jacob, is the generation of them that seek him, that seek his face. Another way to read it is this way, and I think this is probably the best way. This is Jacob. That is, this in a sense is the true Israel, the generation that seeks him, that seeks his face. Selah. Lift up your heads, O you gates. Be lifted up, you everlasting doors. The King of glory shall come in. Who is the King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O ye gates. Lift them up, ye everlasting doors. And the King of glory shall come in. Who is the King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. Selah. Jewish tradition holds that this song that we're reading was sung by the people of Israel when the Ark of the Covenant was brought up from the house of Obed-Edom in the day of David, when David was king, up to the tabernacle that would have been established in Jerusalem to reside in Jerusalem. It would remain in that tabernacle until Solomon, David's son, would build the temple. And then the Ark would be put in that temple. This Ark was the Ark that was built by Moses under the instruction that he received from God in the holy Mount Sinai. 
that he came down. It was the ark that was then placed within the tabernacle that they were to build. It was the ark that the nation of Israel learned to carry around with them when they sojourned in the wilderness and they carried with them as they crossed the Jordan River. And you might remember when the priest carried it, there were rings on the side of the ark. They put poles to them and there were a designated class of individuals who were set apart by God and they were prayed for and cleansed by sacrifice. These were the ones who would bear the ark when they'd move the ark. And you'll remember the story. When Israel came out of the wilderness, the priest put their feet into the water of the Jordan at flood tide and the waters parted for them. And they carried the ark through and the people of Israel crossed over the Jordan. This ark has been, in a sense, out of commission during the kingship of Saul. Actually, it's been out of commission, in a sense, since the time when Eli's sons, who were priests, who were to oversee the ark, had allowed for or agreed to take the ark and carry it with the nation of Israel in the battle against the Philistines. And God was displeased with this kind of superstition, and because their sins were great, they lost the battle. Eli's sons were killed. Eli received news that his sons had been killed in battle, and the story we're told is that he fell over backwards and he died from a broken neck. The Philistines took that ark, they kept it with themselves, the story, if you remember, as little children, we love the story. The Philistines took it as a token of their triumph, put it in the temple of their god Dagon, and their god, the idol of their god Dagon, kept falling over and over again and broke its head. So then the people began to be stricken with different maladies. You can read about them, very uncomfortable maladies. Eventually they went back and they asked if there was some way they could give it back to the nation of Israel. They set it onto a cart. They didn't have any priests to carry it. To oxen on the cart would be a cow that had a calf. They'd take the calf away from her. Now, a cow never leaves its calf, but the cow would take it to where it was to reside. So it was carried away, was brought to the people of Israel, was brought back into custody, but they did not carry out the ministry as it should have been carried out for many days throughout the days of Saul. They did not carry out and properly care for this ark, and it did not reside in the tabernacle. Now, David, led by God, wants to bring it to Jerusalem, and there he wants to establish it in the tabernacle as a place of worship. They go to take the ark and to move it. Well, it got to that point by being on an ox cart, the ox cart of the Philistines. They went and put it back on an ox cart, which was not the proper protocol that God had ordained for the moving of this ark. The ark, by the way, represented the presence of God among the people of Israel, that God would be among them. Now, God can't exist in an ark which was a wooden box. He can't exist there, but God had, in a sense, condescended to express Himself among them through this, this vessel. Well, they took the ark, they put it on an ox cart. They must have transported it by rings or something like that through poles. It got on the ark, so there's some care that they put when they put it on the ox cart. As they were moving it, the ox cart rocked. The ark began to rock a little bit. A man reached out his hand to stop it from rocking over, and he was struck down dead. That ended their experiment for that day. They were dealing with something that was holy. They were addressing something that was of God, that was a reflection of God's presence among them. They were being taught to fear Him. They left the ark behind in the house of Obed-Edom. Eventually, David would come. He would learn all the right protocols. He'd gather together the appropriate priests to come. They would go through the appropriate ceremony. They would bring the ark back up. They brought it up with songs that were sung and with sacrifices that were made and yet with a very careful but enthusiastic parade up to Jerusalem. And one of the songs that the Jews taught was sung on that day, written by David as the ark was brought up into Jerusalem, was this song, 
Psalm 24. Actually, if you know Jewish tradition, Josephus tells us that it was the Jews' custom to recite this psalm on the first day of every week, Psalm 24. It was a well-known song. It has three parts to it. The first part and the second part are somewhat instructive. The third part is just pure celebration. Part one, the people are reminded that the Lord is the great king of all the earth. Even though the ark was this small wooden box, and even though it was going to reside centralized in the city of Jerusalem, in this tabernacle, among the people of Israel, the people of Israel were not to think that God was a territorial God like all the other gods around them. God was not just the God of a specific region. He was the maker and king of all the earth. The people were not to think that somehow they were uniquely the people that belonged to Him for all people belong to Him. All the earth belonged to Him, not just because it's in a box in a little city in Jerusalem, in this remote place. Don't think God has been localized. He's the God of all creation. Don't think somehow that God possesses you alone. God possesses and claims all people for Himself. Every king who rules in distant land only rules by the permission of this sovereign maker, king. All the people who inhabit all the various lands of the earth are claimed by God as His people. By the God of this little group of people, Israel, who have an expression of God's presence in this little place, in this remote city on a mountaintop, that God claims all the earth and claims all people as His. They are His possession. The Jews will at times think that God was their possession. God is correcting them in this song at the very beginning. This is something, by the way, the Jews forgot. They forgot this. They forgot that God claims all nations and all people and wants to bless as a result and wants to rule over as a result all people and all nations. When the Lord Jesus came along, and if you read through the Gospels, those moments where the Lord Jesus ministers to Gentiles, moves among the Gentiles, heals Gentiles, blesses Gentiles, honors them by saying such thing as, I've never seen such faith as this in all of Israel. The Jews bristled. Oh, they didn't like it. Paul came along. In Acts chapter 22, Paul is giving testimony in the temple. As all the Jews are gathered to worship God, he's giving testimony of why it is that he is proclaiming Jesus as the Jews' Messiah. And he's opening up the word of God before them. He's sharing his own personal experience of how this was made known to them. And if you read in Acts chapter 22, you'll find that the multitude is fixated upon his words. They carefully listen to all he says. They patiently listen to all he says. Quietly listen to all he says. It appears that they even sympathetically listen to the argument that Paul gives him, indicating that Jesus was the Messiah. Then Paul says this, that Christ came to him in verse 21 of Acts chapter 22. Paul says that Christ said to him, he said to me, Go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. And then we read, they in one angry voice halted his speech and began to cry out to one another, Away with such a fellow from the earth, for he should not be allowed to live. They had apparently forgotten to listen to the song or the words of the song they recited at least one day a week. The earth is the Lord and all the fullness thereof and all they that dwell within it. Part two here. The people are told who it is that is fit to ascend in the presence of this great king. Part three is a celebration 
of that great king coming down in victory and triumph into the presence of his people in the holy city. The people were celebrating, in a sense, the great God and maker king as the ark was brought into Jerusalem and although it was brought up to them, and as they sung, open up the gates of the city to receive him, they were actually rejoicing that this great God was descending down among them and coming into their presence. So we could sing this song on Christmas morning. Open up the gates. He is coming down among us to be with us. The church eventually, though, had learned to and has learned to sing this song as a celebration of the ascending Lord Jesus Christ, having come and triumphantly dealt with our sins and carried out the great cosmic battle to overcome our sins, entered into our sin and entered into our death and entered into the grave and blown it apart and risen from the grave and ascended back into the presence of God. This is, in the church's mind, the song of the angelic realm, receiving him back into triumph, receiving him back into that heavenly Jerusalem where he as our great high priest represents all that he's done for us on the cross and dying for our sins. So Israel had one idea in mind when they sang the song. We have another idea in mind when we sing the song. It's still good. It all works. Well, thank you for listening to the Ministry of the Bread of Life. To learn more about our ministry, let me suggest you go to one of two websites. First, go to traincpe.org. Traincpe.org to learn more about the work we're doing all over the world to equip and engage the body of Christ personal evangelism, discipleship, and church planting, or to learn about our work in your community, go to breadoflifeboise.org. Until the next time, God bless you.